First, Barry Norman makes his personal choice from the many notable cinema releases of 1992, Films of the Year. and welcome to It'll Be Alright in the 90s, which is, as far as we know, the first Wessex-based nostalgia podcast to be renewed for a second series. <laughs> I'm Alex, and joining me is my regular co-host, Stu. Stu, they've renewed our contract. Can you believe it? Hi, Greeny. Hi, everyone. Uh, Happy New Year. Should have killed us last year. Um, yeah, I, I can't believe it. It's, it's great to be back on the airwaves with you, mate. Uh, I've been uh, really, you know, in heavy training over the Christmas period. Uh, went and did some warm weather nostalgia training, uh, <laughs> got got away from it all, and I'm back uh, limbering up, wearing to go for, for another series. Yeah, absolutely. How have you yeah. been? I've been okay. I've spent most of my time off um, just putting together underappreciated social media posts for the podcast. Um, <laughs> oh, we do try. This is all part of the drive for, for for more listeners that we were talking about in the uh, in the Millennium episode, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Uh, it's not unappreciated by me. I can I can say that. I can say that much. I know I'm not that good on the, on that side of things. So I appreciate everything you uh, everything you put into it, mate. I really do. Oh no worries. But what is this podcast if not us two, just trying to amuse each other uh, on on a nostalgia <laughs> theme, uh, whether that's social media or the podcast itself? So I'm glad glad you liked them. We will of course be talking about the films of 1992 later on, uh, but we'll we'll get to that in a bit. Before we go any further, I should say that today's episode is sponsored by Alba Audio Equipment. So head down to your local branch of Richer Sounds, Radio Shack or Argos and quote the code ALLRIGHT90s to get 10% off their brand new range of portable cassette players. And that includes their brand new CP705 model. So go and check that out. I'm sure they'll let you have a go if you um, go in and ask nicely. But thanks to that offer code, you can bring your favourite music wherever you go at a fantastic price uh, and that is thanks to our sponsors today alba so thanks to those guys thanks so much to the guys at alba very fond memories of my gold uh, alba cd uh, personal cd player mm. uh, which was very well loved and very well used until um, my dad uh, smashed it on our driveway one day uh, <laughs> and then <laughs> and, and then it, it died i think we might have mentioned that before um, but yeah very very good memories of, uh, of my alba products so uh, so thanks to those guys for that superb we've been away for a while so the mailbag will be fuller than usual obviously there's still a bit of a backlog with the with the royal mail and and the rail the the mail strikes i should say but there's there's a few things in here so we're going to get down to them now do you want to start with what you've got there Stu? Uh, yep, just a couple of notes uh, regarding things from recent episodes. So first of all, um, regular correspondent Tom Page gets in touch regarding the Reebok step. Uh, Green, you might remember that I referred to the fact uh, when we were talking about the, the Reebok workout uh, in our Millennium episode that uh, we have a Reebok step in our rehearsal room, which is also used as a gym, bizarrely. Uh, but Tom uh, gets in touch to confirm that, yes, there is a Reebok step in use uh, in the fire station gym. Uh, it's used as part of the Chester step test. Uh, which um, makes part which makes up part of their annual fitness test as well. So it's like a bleep test, but with uh, with stepping, uh, mm. presumably for you know getting up flights of stairs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So so good to know that the Reebok step is still forming a uh, a vital crucial part uh, of the uh, of the fitness tests of our uh, 
of our key workers. Uh, really, really good to hear that. Yeah, I've got a, a, a wonderful image of firefighters bursting into a, an office block or some building that's on fire, reaching the stairs, and then they all just go up to the first step and then step back down again <laughs> because they've been so programmed into doing that they never get up the stairs. <laughs> Hopefully not. Tom, can you write back in and let us know if that's ever happened? We'd love to know. Okay, over at my end, we have been contacted by friend of the pod, Hannah Kelly. She's got a couple of things here. One, the first one refers to our most recent episode, the Millennium Eve episode, or the turn of the Millennium episode. And she says that on her, when she was celebrating that that Christ, that New Year's Eve, uh, she went to a family party and my older cousin's friend was there and I slow danced with him, feeling incredibly grown up at the age of 15 which uh, I'm only really reading out because when I read it, I thought it said uh, my cousin. I slow danced with my cousin, which I thought was quite a funny um, idea and funny thing to send in. Yeah. Yep. It's certainly how I'm going to remember it anyway, <laughs> whether it's true or not. Rewriting um, history again, and it'll be all right in the 90s. <laughs> and then also in relation to the game show episode, back back a few episodes back now, um, she said that she really enjoyed the episode and one of the shows that takes her back to Friday and Saturday nights of her youth at home was watching Saturday, a Saturday night run of Baywatch, Gladiators, Casualty and Blind Date. Uh, and we'd always have a Chinese takeaway and watch it all. Oh. That is, an, what a, an all-star Galactica of Saturday night <laughs> entertainment shows is that, really? That is a they, great run. I mean, ITV in the early to mid-90s was was on point for that yeah know. yeah yeah so baywatch was that on itv or something else baywatch i th- i think so so that would have been itv itv then a quick pop over to bbc for the casualty and then back to itv for blind date with Scylla. um that's fantastic um she also says does gladiators count as a game show i say it definitely does doesn't it i would say so yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 she says if so as a youth i went to birmingham and watched it live such a highlight from my teen years and i came home with a foam finger <laughs> that's amazing as, as in like a, a, an, an episode record or an, a, a gladiators live experience because i know they do oh yeah they do true. these sorts of things these days don't they like strictly come dancing do like live tours and stuff so yeah yeah i wonder i would imagine the success of gladiators at that point would have been such that uh you know that it would have been uh would have been able to take take a, a tour on the road yeah oh I'd have, i would have said so yeah definitely by then uh she doesn't say whether she went with her cousin or not but <laughs> back over to you Stu what have you got there yes uh, I think an apology is in order uh, another regular correspondent George Alty um, has been commenting on some of our previous episodes on YouTube um, and we've failed to notice that the comments are actually there um, it's, it's not an area that we check that often for correspondence um, so I do apologize but uh, to George um, but we have a couple of his uh, his comments here on some of our previous episodes so way back uh, for our forgotten tv episode episode nine when we were discussing strange but true um george actually says i've used the stop stocksbridge bypass and if you remember that's where uh, our strange but true clip was based i think there was a yeah. a ring of uh, uh ghostly young lady singing ring a ring of roses if i remember correctly yeah and, and a monk uh, that kept appearing on the overpass i think yes indeed so he says i've used the stop stocksbridge bypass blimey i'll put, get my teeth in in a minute uh he says strange but true I realise now as my journey on this earth is approaching the final stretch of congested highway that I've missed a trick. To guarantee a shot of the afterlife, I should have been a monk. 
Whoever reports a project manager roaming with a barely completed risk register in his hand, requesting a lessons learned. Quite right, George. <laughs> it's true. You don't see many ghostly uh, project managers around. but Indeed, indeed. Uh, and then he goes on to comment uh, on the Dream Garage episode, which is uh, far more recent. Uh, he says, I had a loan demo Subaru Justy when my Fiat Uno popped its clutch the week I bought it from Wildman's in Urchfont. Uh, I took it to work, he says that was RAF Lineham at the time, where we had a thing going on with the service metro, four times on the gravel around the radio receivers building. The all-wheel drive justly slaughtered the metro. Four of us tagged the arse off it, then I washed it and took it back and picked up the Uno. Sorry, Wildmans. <laughs> I, don't think you, I don't think you are sorry, George. I don't think you I don't are, think you regretted no. any of that. <laughs> but it's nice that, that through the podcast you've been able to get that out in the open and finally, you know, finally admit that. Yeah. Uh, yeah you know, yeah, get exactly. it off your chest, so to speak. He also says, uh, I think he, he requested a uh, an Alfa Romeo as part of his dream garage, didn't he? When he I when he wrote so, him, we, yeah. we did read that out. Uh, he says, I wanted one of those, but the waiting list was nine months, so I got a Toyota Avensis CDX instead, which which is a step down. Let's be honest. Yeah, you couldn't even say that was the the, the Japanese Alfa because it's not, is it? Not even that. <laughs> I think uh, Legend of the Pod, Big Tim Parker drives a Toyota Avensis, so we better be careful about what we say. He does, yeah, in a yeah. lovely champagne colour. If I remember. it really is, yeah, 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 the same colour as my Alba CD player. Exactly <laughs> the same. Come to think of it, yeah. What's the most nineties colour? Actually, this doesn't make sense because his Toyota is not nineties. Sadly, no, no, that's true. That is true. When that Aventis does finally um, bite the dust, I'm going to convince him to buy an old Montego or something, just mm -hmm. in honour of the pod. Well, I remember fondly his older Rover two uh, one something. I can't remember it, which. It was one. a four one. Was it Two. four? Yeah, I think it was a four one six. A four one six. Because he had okay. the saloon version, mm. um, and our friend Chris Metal also had a Rover four hundred. And my family car at the time was a Rover two hundred. It was very much the era of the Rover <laughs> K series engine back then. But yeah, there you go. Brilliant. Uh, uh, have you got anything else in the mailbag at your end? Yeah. Finally, this was on Twitter from a friend of the pod, requester nineties. A great Twitter account, by the way, to check them out. Absolutely. Uh, and they said, I just listened to your pod about Argos catalogs, and I'm one of the people to own a Master System 2 in the mid-90s, because, of course, we questioned when we were looking through the gaming section of the catalog. It had, like, two different eras in there, and they were still they were still selling Master Systems in there. And so Request 90 says they still had one in the 90s. Uh, it had the 8-bit version of Sonic the Hedgehog built in, uh, and one of my favourite games for it was a Tetris ripoff called Columns. I've never heard of Columns. I remember but... Columns very well. It was part of the, um, it was part of a thing called Mega Games One, which I had on the, uh, on the Mega Drive, uh, mm. the sixteen bit, um, and you got uh, Italia ninety, the top down football game. Yeah. yeah. Uh, columns and I, th I think it was Super Hang On maybe, which was a, a, a motorcycle game. Um, but yeah, I remember Columns very fondly. Um, a bit of a Tetris ripoff, if I'm uh, if I'm honest. I think somebody might have commented that underneath uh, underneath Request of Nineties uh, original post. Yeah, I think Did that someone was, say that. Yeah, that was what's the story? Nineties Glory commented on that. I think yeah, they they, uh -huh. they backed that up. So well, I f fully agree with that. But it had some very soothing music, as I recall. So I think I like the music more than I did the game. Um, mm. But yeah, no columns very very well remembered in the in the Joslin household for sure. Excellent. Well, we appreciate all of your correspondence. We oh, love... I've got one more. I've got oh, one sorry. more before we move My on. Apologies. No, 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 it's okay. It's just a very short one. Um, again, regular correspondent Alex Mitchell uh, writing in about um, 90s fitness workout tapes. <laughs> um, <laughs> He's not a Don one, he... is he? No, no, no. <laughs> 
that's a great idea yeah alex let's get on it let's uh you know that's patent pending that now or whatever we say <laughs> copyright control and uh yeah we'll do a uh, it will be all right in the 90s fitness tape um but he says his mum's favorite uh fitness videotape of the 90s was beverly callard's real results uh beverly callard of course famous for playing uh, liz mcdonald in coronation street at the time mm-hmm. uh, wife of my favorite ever coronation street character jim mcdonald not that i was a, ever an avid uh, coronation street viewer but jim mcdonald is up there um we should maybe do soap operas in the 90s, actually, and just take it from a completely, you know, oblique angle. Yeah, we should, uh, yeah. Yeah, because I, I can't imagine that you've ever w- w- watched them much or, or watched them much in the... There was, uh, there was a period the... of my life where, as a family, we watched EastEnders quite avidly. <laughs> it was around the Tiffany, Phil and Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Um, right, but then, yeah, not <laughs> since then. But, yeah, well, my, well, my mum watched them, them all, pretty much still does watch them all. Um, and I, I remember very big things happening, but taking them in via osmosis just because I was in the room at the time doing something else. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I reckon that there's there's definitely an episode in that. Um, but I think my mum or one of my aunts might have had Beverly Callard's real results as well, because I remember her hanging around. She's an awful uh, sort of light blue leotard on the cover with with amazing <laughs> mid-90s hair. It's uh, it's brilliant. We, we'll put it up. Uh, we'll put up a picture on, the, on Instagram when we... Um, let me release the episode so that everyone can enjoy it. Um, but no, thanks, Alex, for that. And as I cut across Alex when when he was saying this, um, yeah, thanks to you all for your great correspondence. We we really do uh, appreciate it and enjoy reading out. So keep it coming in. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much. All right, I'm just going to look up Beverly Callard. I wanted to see if it was available on e- on eBay. Oh yeah, okay. Beverly, Call- the first auto complete for Beverly Callard on Google is Beverly Callard boat. She she got something with a boat going on. Maybe she lives on a boat. I don't know. Yeah, might don't might be, don't yeah. edit a minute of this. By the way, keep this all. <laughs> this is gold. It's Beverly Callard boat. Beverly Callard daughter. Or oh, down there, Beverly Callard fitness. So she is still remembered for it. Um, here we go. Beverly Callard fitness. Oh yeah, real results. Beverly Callard. There you go. New two thousand three DVD region two seven ninety nine all best offer. So. <laughs> Low baller, mate. Offer him a fiver. See what happens. <laughs> well, all the ones underneath are one pound with no bid. So I think seven ninety nine is optimistic. From okay. second sound eight nine seven there. Hundred mm. percent uh, feedback though. Oh, that's um, right then. Yeah, not too bad. Yeah. I've just opened up my eBay. I don't know if you can see that. That's uh, that's the uh, Diamond uh, Villa goalkeeper shirt there. How much uh, is it? Uh, that's new old stock, uh, but it's only in boys' size and it's oh. 100, 125 pounds. <sighs> um and it is brand new so uh yeah oh, well, boy size i wonder how big that is you might have to just put it up on your wall maybe yeah frame it something like that yeah hang on <laughs> beverly ballard's had a tw- 2010 release as well like who's beverly ballard beverly Be- sorry beverly collard <laughs> who's beverly collard <laughs> beverly callard callard <laughs> yeah <laughs> beverly callard's body blaster came out in 2010 beverly ballard's what <laughs> Beverly's bollards. Um, <laughs> right, this is this is completely off topic now. This is... Oh, she had another one in two thousand and four. Lasting results with Beverly Callard. So she's got a whole series here. But this must mean then that all the other ones are, are not are not worth the the paper they're printed on, so to speak. Then if if she's having to keep bringing out more, possibly, yeah, yeah. There's a there's a VHS version of that first one mm-hmm. for six ninety nine or best offer. No one's going to spend seven pounds on a VHS of a 
Beverly Ballard. Beverly Callard. <laughs> I'm really struggling with the alliteration here. Right, let's move on. Right. This is silly. I'm going to buy that and have it sent to your house. Time for What's the Most 90s. I hope everybody out there got some nice toys to play with over the Christmas period. Uh, what I want to ask Alex this time round is what he thinks the most 90s collectible toy is or was. Well, this answer came to me pretty quickly. I didn't really think of anything other than this. And I've gone straight for the Tazo, if we're going to include mm-hmm. that as, as a toy. And they were obviously given away free with packets of Walker's crisps in this country, at least. It was a global thing because I looked it up on Wikipedia. And it was a global thing. And it was connected to the Lay's, um, what's the American version of it? Something, Lay's something yeah. brand. So they, wherever that, whatever that brand is in your particular country would have done Tazos. Uh, and I remember the first ones were uh, Looney Tunes. And then late, mm-hmm. that was like mid 90s. And then later on, it was, they did Star Wars ones. But I think they did whole other, like loads of different lines over the years. But I distinctly remember the Looney Tunes ones and everyone going crazy for them at primary school. And yeah, just made eating crisps even more exciting. Back in the day <laughs> when you'd get something in a packet of crisps, which doesn't happen anymore. Same with cereal. One of the great sort of sadly missed elements of the 90s for me. But yeah, it was just, they were everywhere. And swapping them in the playground, seeing what you were going to get. It's the same sort of um, dopamine hit as, as football stickers, obviously. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I think they were they were great. And I looked it up on eBay, going back to eBay again. Uh, you can buy a batch of them for about five, between five and 10 pounds on eBay now. This is mm-hmm. the Looney Tunes ones. Although I did see that someone was asking for a hundred pounds for a complete set in a binder. Possibly the same guy that was trying to sell that Be- Beverly <laughs> Callard fitness video. Um, well yeah, that, that's, that was my choice anyway, Tazos. What about you? Brilliant. Well, I'm not sure you're going to believe this, but you, you can see my notes here. I've got collectible toys and I've got Tazos written down. There yes. you go. Yes. Uh, yeah. So I went for Tazos as well. I had the, um, I had the bright red walkers folder uh, with my yeah, okay. uh, Tunes Tazo collection in there. Um, I'm not sure where it is now. It's probably been, uh, you know, probably been been removed long since from uh, from the depths of my parents' garage. But um, I was actually unaware that uh, I remember the Looney Tunes and the Star Wars, but I was unaware until I looked into it a bit further that there were even more series than that. There was a Simpsons series, which I would have yeah. thought I would have been yes. aware of, um, but 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 I never was. Um, but yeah, I loved the Tazo. Um, I remember. Uh, I was in about year four at primary school. It must have been when the um, yeah, because the Star Wars ones would have been to coincide with the re-release, the 20th anniversary release of the uh, yeah. one of the original movies. So yeah, 97. Um, and I was on the lookout for a Lando Calrissian Tazo, and uh, nobody had one. And I went to the toilet at lunchtime. I was washing my hands, and I'm not making this up. This is as true as I'm sitting here. There was a Lando Calrissian Tazo inside the soap dispenser. <laughs> wow. On the sink, is... but, you know, above the sink. Yeah, yeah. So of course I had the top off. I was in there. <laughs> I managed to cover my tracks pretty well because nobody, you know, nobody said anything. Um, but yeah, and I, I had my a, a very very clean uh, example of a, of a Lando Calrissian Tazo. Um, so yeah, I, I had a very, you know, it was it was close run thing between the Tazos and the um, and the sort of Merlin Premier League stickers. Uh, it yeah. wasn't Panini at that time. It was Merlin, yeah. of course. True. Yeah. Uh, which I was very heavily into around the same time. We've spoken about the Panini uh, album, haven't we? The PFA 
uh, album, I think, on here before, haven't we? That was another album I had. No, I don't, maybe we have. Okay, so... Was that it was just a, a later iteration of the Merlin one? No, so it, it was the same season. So it, I think it was 96, 97 season. So you had the Merlin one, which was the official one. Okay. And then the PF, uh, Panini brought one out with the PFA. Um, and it was uh, all the same players, but they were all in just... Um, it was a plain white uh, tracksuit top with the PFA logo on it. Um, okay. And there were two players on a page. And they were all done alphabetically by surname. Uh, oh, right. so, so yeah, um, so it wasn't all in team order, um, but that was quite a bizarre collection as well. Uh, never completed it, but um, but yeah, in the end, um, the Tazos had to win out, and I'm glad again that the um, the Pod Hive Mind has sprung into action, and we've uh, we've come to the same conclusion because that must mean that we were destined to host this together. I think. Oh, absolutely. I think this is <laughs> is this the second time after Vianetta where we have we've come together with our with the same answer there might have been one or one or two other things i think it's but... happened a few times yeah but vianetta is the only one that springs to mind so yeah. Uh, yeah but it has happened a few times so that's an easy one for, for jeff to put in the ledger if he's back from his christmas holiday days i think he's still over there in um Torre Molinos, but uh, well what? but i'll make a note for him when he comes back anyway mm. All right, well, he better come back soon because, you know, there's stuff building up here. I mean, we've had YouTube comments that we haven't read out for like nine months. This, this is why the lawyer keeps going on yeah. holiday. Time to move on now to the main bulk of the episode, which is, of course, the films of 1992. So this follows on from the previous two episodes we've done in this, this sort of stream of the films of the decade, which we're taking episode by episode. We've obviously done 1990 and 1991, which are both massive years. Loads of things in there that I remember from my childhood. But we'll see how 1992 goes. Um, Stu, shall we do what we normally do? We'll go with the the box office and the award winners, and then we'll choose our three personal choices each and and see how we get on. Certainly. Okay, so here's your top 10 highest grosses for 1992. Uh, number 10 is Wayne's World. And number nine is Bram Stoker's Dracula. And number eight is Sister Act. Number seven, A Few Good Men. Number six, Batman Returns. Number five, Lethal Weapon 3. Number four, Basic Instinct. Number three, Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. Number two is The Bodyguard. And at number one, by almost $100 million, is Aladdin. Mm. Big Disney release, wasn't it? Very much so, very much so. Okay, that is not a bad top 10 at all. These were the award winners for the year. So at the BAFTAs, the best film went to Howard's End. Uh, the best director was Robert Altman for The Player. Best actor was Robert Downey Jr. for Chaplin. Uh, and the best actress was Emma Thompson for Howard's End. And then at the Academy Awards, the Oscars, the best film was Unforgiven. The best director was Clint Eastwood for Unforgiven. The best actor was Al Pacino for Scent of a Woman and the best actress, again, was Emma Thompson for Howard's End doing it for the Brits, which we like to see. So, yeah, the, the, those the BAFTAs and the uh, the Academy Awards did differ quite a lot there, but all some big names. And then, of course, we can't ignore the Golden Raspberries, which is, of course, the awards for the, the biggest duff. But we are ignoring the year. Golden Globes, correct? Of course, yeah. Of course, yeah, right, OK. So the Golden Raspberries, the worst film, was awarded to Shining Through, which starred Michael Douglas and Melanie Griffiths. I've never heard of that film. Me neither. Um, uh, probably for, for good reason. <laughs> uh, and then for the best 
sorry, well, the best slash worst actress award also went to Melanie Griffiths for both Shining Through and A Stranger Among Us. So she she won it for two different um, <laughs> appearances, which is not a great year for Melanie Griffiths. And then the worst actor went to Sylvester Stallone for Stop or My Mum Will Shoot. So um, well done, Sylvester, for winning that one. <laughs> I've never seen Stop or My Mum Will Shoot, have you? No, but I want to watch it. It sounds like a sort of, you know, family comedy, yeah. jingle all the way, kindergarten cop type vehicle, you know. Uh, so I'm I'm keen on that. I'm keen on that. Yeah, maybe we should we should both endeavour to to both watch it and then have a little discussion about it on whatever episode we do next. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure I've ever said this before, but I I always find it uh, a bit strange that there there always appears to be very little correlation between the top 10 highest grossing movies and the award winners. And yeah. Very, very rarely will somebody pick up an award for, uh, you know, the, the top film at the box office. Like nobody's winning anything for Aladdin or The Bodyguard. Yeah, that is uh, very in, true. In terms of acting, uh, you know. So, uh, yeah, I just always find that a little um, a little strange. But but there we go. That's just me. I suppose it's that, yes, that divide between the fans and the critics, isn't it? And mm-hmm. you see it in, in music and films and everything, but... I did notice actually that a whole new world from Aladdin did win the Oscar for best original song. So oh, well, there we go, they won something. Mm-hmm. Um, I can only hear Jordan and Peter Andre singing <laughs> that song now. <laughs> I can't even hear the original. <laughs> well, it's it's uh, it's the definitive version. I mean, uh, <laughs> I there is, can't yeah. be any argument about that. <laughs> yeah, there can't be. Right, so we've done the the lists and the countdowns. Shall we talk about what our favourite films were from the year then, Stu? Mm-hmm. Um, let's start with you. Yep, uh, I'm going to go uh, serious first of all. Uh, I want to talk about a film called Glengarry Glen Ross. Uh, this was released on the uh, 2nd of October 1992 and directed by James Foley. Straight off the bat, I want to say that this is a fantastic year for me film-wise. Uh, I've managed, uh, there's three of my all-time favourite films were released in this uh, in this year, and it's going to be a pleasure to talk about them uh, for the next little while. Um, I don't think I've had a year as strong as this so far, and it remains to be seen if I have a, a year as strong as this in the uh, preceding seven episodes uh, that we're going to do on the movies of the nineties. Uh, but I'll, I'll, I'd like to see uh, I'd like to see this one get challenged. I'm not sure it will. Anyway, uh, Glengarry Glen Ross. So uh, yeah, this is uh, my favourite serious movie. Um, I first watched this movie after hearing friend of the pod uh john amor speaking about it uh i was uh, i was speaking about him with it in a uh, in a pub at one of his gigs i think it came up or he was talking to somebody else about it and i sort of made a mental note because uh i just wanted to be cool like john amor and i wanted to like the things that he liked <laughs> um so so i watched uh, glenn gary glenn ross got hold of a copy and I'm, I'm very glad i did um have you ever seen it i have i saw it for the first time relatively recently yeah okay ryan what did you think yeah, I really liked it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, so for anybody who doesn't know, it's uh, it's an office of um, real estate salesmen in New York City, um, and they're given the news uh, in a, a storming sort of cameo appearance by by Alec Baldwin, uh, who plays one of the uh, one of the top brass in the organisation. That all but the top two salesmen are going to be fired at the end of the week. And then there's uh, Shelley Levine, who's played by Jack Lemmon. Uh, he has a, a sick daughter, and he's trying to get uh, trying to get the better leads uh, from his boss so that he can be one of the top salesmen. Uh, it doesn't really work out, and then a uh, plan gets hatched to steal the leads, etc., etc. A really, really great movie. Uh, I enjoyed it so much that I even went to see it in the theatre. Uh, it was on, it was on at the Theatre Royal in Bath a few years back, uh, with 
Nigel Harmon, who's most uh, most famous in the UK for playing, Alex? Uh, I can't put a face to the name, so am I allowed to Google his face? And yeah, no, please go. do. Yeah. yeah. H-A-R-M-A-N. Oh, Don't go goodness. mixing up the vowels like you did with Beverly Ballard. <laughs> oh, I recognise him, but I cannot think what he's most famous for. Tell me. Well, we're going back to soap operas again. He was Dirty Den's son. Dennis ah. in, uh, in in EastEnders for, for, for a little while there. Um, oh, so he was in Glengarry, Glen Ross with along with Mark Benton, another another famous UK actor. Um, so really good production. I really enjoyed that as well. Um, so this has won critical acclaim in its time and it's now considered one of the best movies in the 90s. But it was a box office failure at the time, uh, you know, which which, which, which is um, really strange to think of now, considering it is considered a, a cult classic. Jack Lemon, Al Pacino as well uh, is amazing as Ricky Roma. Um, as I say, Alec Baldwin, the, the always be closing scene at the start. A, B, C. A, always B, B, C, closing. Always be closing. Always be closing. A, I, D, A. Attention, interest, decision, action. Attention. Do I have your attention? Interest. Are you interested? I know you are, because it's fuck or walk. You close or you hit the bricks. Decision. Have you made your decision for Christ? An action. I just love it. It's so atmos atmospheric. Watch it every few years. Um, and it's one of the few, as I say, one of the few real serious dramas that I will go back to. Um, and I just love it. So, yeah, Glengarry Glen Ross. Very nice. Yeah, it's, uh, it's an acting masterclass from what I remember. Because it is based on the play, isn't it? So those sort of films some, well, there's certain films like that where you can see that it was a play because of the way they've set it out and mm -hmm. and the the staging of it um but it it doesn't suffer for that from what i remember it's just because the performances are so good and it is atmospheric yeah i really enjoyed it as well when i saw it um oh great glad to hear it well i did actually get in touch with john and ask him um to provide his thoughts uh, on glengarry glen ross and why it's one of his uh, favorite movies of all time um so when that arrives with me uh, I'll, I'll read it out on the next episode and we'll we'll get john's take on it spot on yeah i thought you were going to say you got hold of al pacino for a second <laughs> he's john here tonight <laughs> john amor is much cooler anyway so right my first choice is white men can't jump which was written and directed by ron shelton uh starring my favorite actor of all time woody harrelson uh, and also Wesley Snipes and Rosie Perez are the two main actors in it. So this is a film set around basketball. So you could consider it as a sport film, I suppose. It's set in 1990s LA, which is probably my favourite, or definitely one of my favourite settings for, for films is 90s LA. I mean, so many films are set in that era, like, you know, Boys in the Hood, um, Heat, Falling Down, mm -hmm. 187, just so many great films with with this sprawling sort of orange tinted cityscape in the background and i really love that that whole vibe this is a great example of it uh, and the film follows those two guys so woody harrelson's character and wesley snipes character who are basically they, they join forces and become a, a duo of of basketball kind of hustlers so they make their money by pre pretending not to know each other and then they get challenged to to play two-on-two -two basketball and they play for money. And it involves, there's some mobsters involved and there's lots of cameos from 90s and 80s basketball players that I don't recognise, but I'm sure our American listeners will will know them better than us. 
and I just think it's a good, solid comedy drama. The story is fun. The characters are engaging. Uh, like I said, it's got Woody Harrelson in it, my favorite actor. It's got a good combination, well, a good balance of of humor and and tension. And I, I watched it. I must have watched it when I was in my early mid teens with my brother. And I watched it again recently when we were preparing for this episode, just to remind myself. And yeah, it still stands up. It still looks great. And all those other uh, positives about it still stand. And actually, I have been to one of the areas where it was filmed in by purely by chance. I think this is the only time I've ever accidentally walked onto a film location, <laughs> uh, which was when I was visiting LA a few years ago. We were walking through Watts. We just visited the Watts Towers. And my friend Ian, who I was with at the time, pointed out that this iron bridge that goes over the the subway tracks and said that, that looks familiar and then we looked to the right and there was a basketball court there and he put you know we we connected the dots and re- re- recognized it from white men can't jump so i like it for that as well it's got that slight personal connection um and that's yeah that that was the first film that jumped out at me on the list of of 1992 films um but yeah actually because i know you started off by saying what your general feel for the the list was I'm sort of the opposite of you, in fact, in that the films from 1992 didn't, there didn't seem to be so many big ones for me in there than the previous two years that we've done. For me, I, I was struggling to find ones that I really loved, but I have, I've got, a, I've got three here, so mm-hmm. um, there you are some. Scrape some together. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But this was my first choice anyway, white men can't jump. Brilliant. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's funny, really, that I haven't seen this because uh, I, I love Woody Harrelson, I love basketball, um, but I've never, I've never actually seen White Men Can't Jump. I think I've seen the first, I think I caught the first twenty minutes or so on TV once, and I didn't, uh, I didn't sort of go ahead with the rest of it. But it is, uh, yeah, it's a shame I haven't seen it. It's one I'm definitely going to have to put on the list. Well, yeah, it's currently on Disney Plus. If anyone has that, that's where I watched it uh, this time. So if anyone has listened to this shortly after it's been released, the episode then that's where you can find it. But I, I definitely recommend it. It's good, solid, early 90s film fun. Brilliant. I've got Disney Plus. I can do that. Nice. Right, let's go <laughs> on to your second choice. Absolutely. Well, uh, it was this film's 30th birthday. Uh, well, as it, as is the case with all of these films. Um, <laughs> but it was this film's 30th birthday uh, on December the 11th last year. Directed by Brian Henson. Uh, I'm talking about the greatest Christmas film of all time. It's The Muppet Christmas Carol. Um, there can be no question in my mind. Um, I love The Muppets. Uh, I love Michael Caine, Italian Job, Escape to Victory, Muppet Christmas Carol. There's what a trilogy. For it. What a trilogy, if ever there was one. <laughs> so this is always a Christmas winner for me. Um, again, I had the pleasure of, uh, of seeing this actually um, with a live orchestra uh, in Bath uh, just, just before Christmas this year, um, which was an, an amazing experience. I found myself actually watching the, the movie and forgetting that the orchestra were there. And I was trying to divide my time between watching how the orchestra were playing and watching the movie. Um, but in the end, I just got totally uh, taken in with the movie like I always do. I, I own the soundtrack on vinyl as well. It's one of the few uh, movie soundtracks that I own. Um, so so a great soundtrack as well. And there are so many uh, classic and, and, and quotable parts. Um, the, the, the end scene uh, where... Ebenezer Scrooge invites himself round to Bob Cratchit's house and brings the entire town 
along with him as well for, for Christmas dinner. Ne- never fails to it. Never fails to make me smile. I think it's possibly one of the best retellings of the Christmas Carol story. Certainly for you know an audience of my age, I suppose it's always going to be an iconic thing for uh, you know for those of us in our sort of mid thirties. Um, and it's uh, as I say, it's it's number one on the list every Christmas, and it, and it will be until the end of time for me. So yeah, The Muppet Christmas Carol is uh, is my second movie of 92 and pleased to be able to uh, celebrate his 30th birthday with that live orchestra performance at the end of last year. Excellent. It's, I think, quite a feat to have been able to make a film with the Muppets about a Dickens story like that and make it so successful and so iconic. Mm-hmm. And it probably is loads of people's favourite Christmas film uh, and me- arguably is the definitive version of a christmas carol which is well obviously there'll be different arguments for different versions i know my dad likes uh the version my dad likes the version with patrick stewart uh, uh, which he which he always seeks out every year um so there are there are many many different different versions but it's just difficult to argue against them at the christmas carol being one of the most iconic uh i think mm. have you have you seen this i have but not for years i, oh, I right, okay, definitely right. drew a rewatch christmas for me is always sort of early December I'm thinking oh it's too early to watch Christmas films I don't want to watch one yet I'm also usually trying to catch up on films from the the Mm -hmm. previous year or the year up to that point so I don't really get into it that early and then it gets to like December the 20th and I haven't watched any and I'm suddenly (laughs) trying to watch them all but by that point it's too late Mm -hmm. so I end up watching about one Christmas film a year but I need to make sure I watch this next year um, because it's it's long overdue a rewatch oh please do you will love it you will love it. It's one of Michael Caine's finest performances, if you ask me. <laughs> Between that and Jaws 4. <laughs> so my second choice is the historical epic The Last of the Mohicans, which was directed by Michael Mann and released in in November in the UK, November 92. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, so yeah, like I said, it's historical historical epic set in the 1750s during the French and Indian War and it's based on a, a novel from the 19th century uh, starring Daniel Day-Lewis when he was he was pretty when he was big by this point but not quite as sort of well respected as he is now but still a, a big name um, and he's well known for being a, a method actor and going like whole whole hog in his mm-hmm. characters and his roles so apparently in preparation for this, he uh, lived in the wilderness for a few weeks, uh, living, hunting and fishing off the land for for several months prior to shooting, which is so Daniel Day-Lewis. Uh, apparently by the end of the shoot, he was treated for claustrophobia and mild hallucinations um, <laughs> because he'd, he'd really gone method on it. But I'm not going to go into the details of what the story is, but it's essentially it follows him as he's trying to escort these these women to safety across this dangerous area of America during this war uh, and they're being pursued by this band of or baddies for want of a better word uh, and the main villain is played by Wes Studi who is a prolific Native American actor he's in loads of things any sort of western there's there's like three two or three really big Native American actors it's him Graham Greene and then maybe one or two others but Wes Studi is, is, is a real legend of Hollywood, um, but his character has really terrified me as a child. He, there's something about him. He, he looks intimidating, and he has this sort of cold, heartless fury 
and he also uses an axe as a weapon, which is, I think, one of the scariest weapons, most intimidating weapons that a baddie can have. And I think that's that was the main thing that stuck with me when I first watched this, as probably would have been in the mid late nineties when I was, I don't know, ten or eleven, maybe mm-hmm. tiny bit older. But his character is the one that haunted my dreams um, for a long time, which I, I guess is testament to how good West Studies' performances in this film. And it's it's Stu. This is what I want from a film. I want well, this is what I want from a historical epic. I should say I want overwrought soundtracks. Uh, I want slow mos, uh, and I want big set pieces with people sacrificing their lives for mm. for other people. Ideally, jumping through a waterfall in slow motion in order <laughs> to do it. And it has all those things. It's got a big emotional score by uh, Trevor Jones. It's also got I Will Find You by Clanad. And any film with a Clanad song on the soundtrack, you know, is going to be a bit of a tearjerker. Well, so, unless it's uh, the cover of Fairy Tale of New York. Oh, God. That'd be that's... a tearjerker for other reasons. <laughs> yeah, it's not that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, all those things added up. It was, yeah, it was just a big film when I was growing up. Yeah, that's my second choice. It's no Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Well, no. <laughs> of course it isn't. <laughs> Um, I always remember getting this film conflated in my young mind with Raiders of the Lost Ark for some reason. Uh, I, I don't know why I, w- I would get those two mixed up, um, but but I, but I always did. Well, have, so you've not seen it then? Have you? I haven't. No, no, no. no but I, th- I, I, I think I think they might have been next to each other on my parents' VHS shelf. Yeah, and that might have been that might have been something that contributed to it. Um, well, out of those two, you've got to go for Raiders of the Lost Ark. There's okay, hands right. down. I mean, there's not there's no debate about that. Unfortunately, we won't be talking about the Indiana Jones films because I think they're all 80s. They, they yes, are. yeah, I think uh, uh, Last Crusade was 89, I think. Or mm. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. unfortunately. And we can't talk about uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, not that we would want to anyway, because that's <laughs> no. far too far into the future. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, unfortunately, this will remain an Indiana-free zone, which means that I will never be able to do my impression of Sean Connery playing Indiana Jones's dad on the podcast and that's a real shame that is a real shame yeah yeah it was just gonna have to remain under wraps oh well let's go <laughs> on to your third choice uh, my third choice was released on february the 14th 1992 uh directed by penelope spheris all the way from aurora illinois it's wayne's world um so this of course is a spin-off of uh, saturday night live sketch uh, and the film concerns uh, Wayne and Garth um, getting their public access show uh, on to commercial television. I mean, this movie is just so eminently quotable. Uh, we're not worthy. Schwing. She will be mine. Oh, yeah, she will be mine, etc., etc. It's a sort of film that you don't learn anything from. Um, it's very daft, um, silly comedy. But I think there's obviously a place for that sort of thing. There always will be. There's the iconic scene um, with with Wayne and Garth and their friends. Um Miming Bohemian Rhapsody in in the Murphmobile, the AMC Pacer, mm-hmm. um, and I've just always loved always loved Wayne's World. I think I prefer the Wayne's World movies to the Bill and Ted movies, which I suppose it could be argued are similar. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I was a sharp intake of breath there. <laughs> yeah, my one note about this was that I'm more of a Bill and Ted sort of person. Oh well, so. I mean it's so it's okay for us to balance these things. Yeah, out, yeah. that's that's yeah. true. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and just all of the you know the uh, 
pop culture references. You've got Alice Cooper performing. <laughs> you know, they're after the that, that Fender Strat in the shop. And then there's obviously so many cultural touchstones and things that I like included in this movie. Um, which is why I love it so much. Uh, Wayne's World 2, is, uh, which was released a year later. I'm probably not going to talk about that in the movies of 1993. Uh, but that had a more sort of laboured um, uh, laboured conception. I read that. Mike Myers pretty much ripped the script off of uh, an old British comedy film called Passport to Pimlico. And they only realised this about two weeks before it was due to start filming and they couldn't clear it. So he had to write the whole film uh, in, in a couple of weeks. Um but again, Aerosmith are in it, and that's and that's good as well. So, so I, I do like Wayne's World too as well. But I probably won't get to talk about it in the films of '93. So yeah, had to go for Wayne's World. Always loved it. Always, always will. Yeah, big classic. Like I say, I am definitely more of a Bill and Ted sort of guy. But th- take nothing away from Wayne's World. It is a classic without a doubt. Um, and yeah, talking of the Bohemian Rhapsody scene, I was reading that that. They, the producers didn't want to have that song because I think it was going to cost too much to clear or something. Right. And Mike Myers was threatening to leave the whole production if they didn't use it. So he sort of forced it through, didn't he? Oh, yeah. right, okay. Because hmm. he was so desperate for that song to be in there. But yeah, it's cool as well that it did, It came from the Saturday Night Live sketch. I think that's kind of... They did well to make it into what it was. Mm-hmm. You know, the idea of making a film based on the sketch has gone badly wrong with other things I know. Is it Coneheads? I think that's an SNL sketch yeah. originally. It's famously yeah. a, um, mm-hmm. a bit of a dud. So yeah, it's it's definitely gone down in history. So they did well. Good yeah, choice. Yeah. Maybe Bill and Ted's jury watch for me. Uh, I'll have to see. Uh, did, did you watch the recent one? They they brought it back again recently, didn't they? Yeah, I quite liked it. Did you have you seen? Okay, it? I haven't. No, no, no. So so I'll need to watch all three. Okay, right. Yeah, considering how how high risk that was to come back that late, I think Bill and Ted did nail it quite. Quite successfully with their third one. Um, but yeah, not as good as the first two, of course. Well, of course. Okay, then what's your final choice? My final choice has a little bit of gravitas about it. It's a serious one, or even more serious than the first two. Uh, and it's Malcolm X. So this is a historical biopic about the civil rights leader, directed and, and written or co-written by Spike Lee, uh, starring Denzel, Denzel Washington in the lead role. And this is basically just a great example of of a biopic about someone who deserves a great biopic. It's a long film, but it's one of those long films where you don't notice how long it is because it's just so rich and 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 well made. Uh, it's based on Alex Haley's book, The Autobiography of Malcolm X. Um, I, I hadn't realised this because I know that Alex Haley also wrote Roots, which is like an iconic 70s, I think, um, TV series. Correct. He also wrote this book. And it's just it's a great uh, film version of of that autobiography. Spike Lee is a very cool, iconic director. Always does good stuff. Denzel Washington has obviously since this film gone on to become Hollywood royalty. I would say, mm-hmm. I think that's fair. And it's a great film, and I just think it's it's an important film to watch as well. And I do like I like historical biopics because when they're done well, they're entertaining as well as you know teaching you something. That sounds so corny to say that, but. I think I, I do. I do really appreciate them. I've just recently watched Elvis, for example, another um, good one that came out last year. But um, yeah, it's just it, it's a good film, and there are there's some sort of interesting things about the way it was produced as well that I was reading up about. So it was um, they weren't they didn't have enough money to put it together. Really, it went over budget basically, uh, and so a number of prominent black celebrities 
basically put forward their own money to help get it over the line. So mm-hmm. Bill Cosby, Oprah Winfrey, Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, Janet Jackson, Prince, Tracy Chapman all gave their own money to get this film made, which I think is wow. is cool. Yeah, I just I thought it was worthy of a mention for for being such a great biopic about such a interesting and important and great person. So that's why I have chosen it for my my third choice. Absolutely interesting to hear about that early sort of crowdfunding model uh, that <laughs> yeah. was used to that was used to um, used to finish the film. But no, absolutely very very worthy choice. Do you have any wild cards or anything else you want to throw in there? I do. Um, first of all, uh, a very, very brief honourable mention to uh, Home Alone 2 Lost in New York, uh, released on November the 20th, 92, directed by Chris Columbus. Uh, I had to mention it, uh, obviously, in the pantheon of, of great Christmas movies again, alongside the Muppet Christmas Carol. Great to have them both released in the same year. Um, but my wild card is a movie that was released on January the 17th, 1992, directed by Jeff Murphy. Uh, and this is called Free Jack. Uh, and I'm just going to read you the synopsis here and tell me at the end of this if you would want to go and watch this, if it was playing in the cinema across the road from your house. All right. Yeah. Early in the 21st century, technological advances have made it possible for aging wealthy people to pay crooks like the Sendak, played by Mick Jagger, to go back in time, kidnap young victims like race car driver Alex Furlong, played by Emilio Estevez, and deliver them to the elderly clients who then have their brains transplanted into their healthy bodies. Furlong manages to break free from his captors, but as a fugitive, he finds that the world of the future is a bleak, dangerous place. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's out there. It sounds sounds good, yeah. Well, it sounds intriguing. It is terrible. <laughs> uh, so I was only really interested in this movie because I have a, um, I have a, a fixation on the uh, acting career of Mick Jagger. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I've got a couple of his movies on DVD. Possibly the the, the best known one performance, which he made when he was at really at the height of his uh, in 90, early nineteen seventies uh, Rolling Stones fame. Uh, I've not seen Bizarrely, that, that's the best one. But uh, uh, there's uh, uh, Ned Kelly, where, in which he in which he plays the title role, um, which I've seen, and then also Free Jack, which is uh, one of his last sort of movie appearances. Um, it doesn't mention this in the synopsis, but Anthony Hopkins is in this film. He plays one of the aging wealthy people who wants the, the young body for their brain to go into. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the wife of the pod, Beth, uh, actually commented when we watched this together that it's bizarre to think that this film was released in the same year that Anthony Hopkins won the Best Actor Oscar for Silence of the Lambs. Um, yeah, that is weird. And he's since uh, been on record as calling the film terrible. Uh, <laughs> so uh, so there you go. That, that's obviously what he thinks of it. Um and it's a typical representation, really, of what we thought the 21st century would look like in 1992. Um, mm. <laughs> obviously, that's all that's all changed now. But uh, I, I, I had to give Free Jack a mention. Um, it's not the greatest movie out there. I, I'd, I'd go as far to say it's very much at the other end of the spectrum. Um, but I remember from, from from when I from when I watched it a couple of years ago, it does move along. You know, it doesn't it doesn't hang about. And um, you know, for 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 just a for just a bit of mindless uh, fun, you know, it's uh, it's okay. So if you can, you know, if you can sort of enjoy it despite its quality. Um, but yeah, there you yeah. go. Free Jack and anything with Mick Jagger playing a Russian criminal uh, has to be, uh, you know, has to be worth a watch. I think. Right. My my wildcard, just a very short thing here, really, is a film called Into the West, and this is an example of a film that is 
sort of lives forever in my nostalgic memories and has never come out of that face because I've not seen it since uh, it, I, I went to the cinema to see this. I distinctly remember going to the little theatre in Bath mm-hmm. to see this with my family, uh, which would have been in 1992. So I would have been seven and I've not seen it since. And I remember really liking it um, and it sort of stirring emotions in me when I watched it. But that's it. I I've not seen it since. And it's so it's locked in that time in my mind. I have thought about watching it a few times recently, and I'm sort of in two minds as to whether I should or shouldn't. Uh, it's a film about um, a, the traveling community stars Gabriel Byrne set in, uh, in Ireland. Um, but that's all I can remember about it. And a horse. I think these two boys, I guess there was some connection there between the two boys being similar age to me and my brother at the time that we saw it riding around on this horse. But that that is that jumped out when I looked down the list of films from this year, because it is that sort of childhood memory locked away. So yeah, I don't know. If, I would love to know if anyone listening has has seen this film or seen it recently or has any memories of it. Um, but maybe one day I'll watch it again. But I, I couldn't choose it as one of my three because it was too too distant a memory. But <laughs> it's uh, I just had to mention it for for that. Mm. We have had a little bit of correspondence on the topic of the best films of 92, haven't we, Stu? Yeah, and first of all, it's a big hello to new correspondent uh, and my old media studies teacher and now uh, five-a-side buddy, Andy Sales. Uh, he's a big, big film man, I know. He gets in touch to say that his movies of 1992 are Universal Soldier, Under Siege and The Mighty Ducks with a shout-out to the mental mob-stroke vampire movie, Innocent Blood. Uh, so many thanks for getting in touch with those, Andy. You are more than welcome along with us. Um, yeah. Haven't mentioned The Mighty Ducks, have we? That, that, no, was, a, we that was a big thing. Yeah. That, that's. Am I right in thinking that was the first time that was well, the only time that I can think of where a film spawned an actual sports team because the Einheim <laughs> Mighty Ducks are were started by Disney I think is that right yeah yeah I um, know yeah I think this is probably the first first uh, instance of that happening I can't think of any others it's so since. American isn't it so American <laughs> that that whole way of starting a sports team yeah but it's a good film I need to watch it again it's got Joshua Jackson, a.k.a. Pacey from Dawson's Creek, in a young role. So oh, well, there you are. What's it's, worth it for that. It's made for you. Yeah. On our Instagram, uh, Retro Slam got in touch to say, Wayne's World, uh, no stairway denied. Is that a quote from Wayne's World? It is, yeah. 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 Uh, and also, Channel Nem, friend of the pod, uh, said, just from the pic, which is relating to the picture that I posted on Instagram, uh, and before looking at the full list on Wikipedia, the movie that stands out for me is Wayne's World. So there is another shout out for Wayne's World. Oh, thanks, guys. It's, you know, it's always nice when when uh, you know our choices as hosts get validated in this manner. Yes, it's really good. Legend of the Pod Tim Parker says, "Where do I begin? In no particular order: Reservoir Dogs, The Bodyguard, A Few Good Men, Batman Returns, The Mighty Ducks, Patriot Games." Muppet Christmas Carol. And then he says, I'll be back with the rankings. He hasn't provided the rankings yet. No. Um, but that is a, a big list. Reservoir Dogs. I'm surprised that wasn't in the top 10. And we haven't, we haven't yeah, mentioned we've got no that mention yet. of that. No. no, absolutely. But obviously a brilliant Good film. film. Um, yeah. pa- Patriot Games I have seen very recently um, because I had a uh, month's free subscription to Paramount Plus and it happened to be there. Um, so, so we gave it a look. Uh, Harrison Ford as... Uh, as um, is it Jack he's, Ryan? He's not the president. He's uh, yeah, he's pre- 
something to hang on a minute. It obviously had it obviously left a big uh, indelible mark on you. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I, well, I know Sean Bean was in it with a very very dodgy Irish accent. Um, that, that much I remember. Um, oh, just make him Yorkshire. Don't try and make him something else. Exactly. No Don't try and make him something he isn't. <laughs> Which is the whole point of acting. But there you go. This is Sean Bean we're talking about. Uh, thanks for that, Tim. Uh, yeah, do let us know your final rankings and we'll we'll get back to that. Yeah. Uh, Ruth Collinson also said on Facebook, I think my top five from that year, although it's hard to choose, would be in no particular order, Candyman, The Hand That Rocks the Cradle, Home Alone 2, Strictly Ballroom and Aladdin. Uh, she says, maybe it's worth noting that because of the excessive marketing campaign the film had, uh, it felt like A Few Good Men was the biggest film of all time with You Can't Handle the Truth clips being shoved down our throats in every ad break of every programme. <laughs> That's true. I've never seen A Few Good Men and I, I, I know it's one of the big films mm-hmm. that I've missed out from my film watching over the years. and I really do need to see that. Um, but a, a great example of a quote from a film that is uh, it's just one of the most famous film quotes of all time, isn't it? Definitely of the yeah. 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, and she also says that there were some huge hit songs that were featured in films from that year, and sometimes they ended up being bigger than the films themselves. So uh, from far and away, there was Book of Days by Enya. That's the second sort of clan ad um, yeah. mention of the pod. Mm. Uh, and A League of Their Own with This Used to Be My Playground by Madonna. I don't think I actually know that song. I bet Joe Barto loves that song, but I don't. Well, so that has that has been in the charts recently, or it was on uh, on uh, the top of the pops uh, uh, yeah. uh, run through that's going on on BBC Four. Uh, so presumably that was in the chart because it was used in that movie, um, which uh, which obviously makes makes perfect sense. Yeah. Um, but yes, no, Joe will. Uh, I'm sure Joe will defend this used to be my playground to the absolute death. That's all the correspondence we've got on this so far. But just because we haven't read them out on this one, you can still send them in and we will read them out in the next podcast. We always want to hear from you about anything we've talked about in the past. So whether that's films of 1992 or 91 or the films of 1990 or any of the other topics, please, please do get in contact because we love reading it out and and debating with you uh, what your thoughts are on these topics. So please yeah, do get in touch. And, you know, I might as well read out the contact details while I'm here. Go for it. You can find us on our link tree. has links to all the different social medias we're on. Uh, and the link to that is linktr.ee forward slash all right 90s podcast. That's all one word, all right 90s podcast. Or you can just go to Linktree and search for All Right 90s Podcast and you'll find us. And, yeah, they're the best way to get in touch with us. Mm-hmm. I would probably advise against you sending comments under the youtube videos because obviously <laughs> we don't see them for a year um but we will endeavor to check that a little bit more closely in future if if nothing else for you george alty because mm-hmm. we are very sorry about missing your correspondence from back in the day well that wraps up our films of 1992 episode Stu, i don't think we know for sure what we're doing next do we Which no no it's a new year, and um, we know we haven't uh, we haven't decided. We're we're still getting back into the swing of things. Uh, we haven't quite decided yet, but rest assured, we will be back uh, in two weeks' time with something else to uh, discuss. So leave it with us, and we'll be back. Don't worry about it. Absolutely. Well, you can always rely on us. We've had our holiday now, so we will we'll be here every every two weeks for the next year and a half or whatever it was, however long our series is. <laughs> um, but yeah, until our next episode. 
thank you for listening again and like i said please do get in touch with anything you've heard and uh yeah we'll we'll see you next time uh so it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from me i'm just off to do some aerobics to my beverly ballard vhs (laughs) 